Uh, we've been in this uh, series uh, called Save the Date for the last couple of weeks, and uh, we talked about how you view marriage actually uh, determines how you view most relationships uh, in, in your life. Uh, last week, Seth preached on, on three qualities uh, that we need to uh, develop um, if we're going to get married or, or if we're already married. Uh, we need to, to have these qualities in our lives. Because statistically speaking, uh, if you're not married, most of you will get married at some point in life. Like that, That's what studies show us. Um, unfortunately, uh, those studies show us, though, um, that, that many of those marriages will not make it. And statistically speaking, of those that don't make it, a lot of people will look back and actually say that there were warning signs while we were dating. And the wisest thing to do would have been to listen to those warning signs as we were dating. Because you know this, like when you're dating someone, like you tend to want things to work out, right? You, you don't want things to fail. Like you want to have you want to have all of the love songs on the radio make sense. Like you want the relationship to, to move forward. Like you want to be in love. And, and if you see something in the other person that doesn't seem right, your mind says, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. But your heart says, love will make it all work. And what I want to do today is I want to tell you to be wise and to pay attention. Because there, there may be some warning signs, and you might say some red flags, like when you're actually going out with someone. And we want to talk about those red flags today. So this is if you're dating, like, and you say, well, why would you only speak to a small group of people that are dating? Because it's a large group of people. We've got a lot of high school, college age, single people that are, that are in the room, that are watching online. Like, I've got two kids in this age group that I would love to, to listen to this message, um, and they probably will, um, and which is good. I'll make them. I'll be with them this week. So, But listen, but if you're married, the, these warning signs should be an indicator to you as well that, that maybe some things in your marriage aren't right, and you need to, to, to begin to, to bring about some change in your life. And I'm going to call this, this sermon today, Five Signs You're Dating the Wrong Person. Five signs you're dating the wrong person. If you're already married, like, you can't get out. Just tell you, like, fight for it. But I want to start with um, uh, the, some scripture from Proverbs chapter 27, uh, verse 12. And this proverb actually contrasts two different types of people. It shows someone who is sensible. It says this, sensible people... It says they'll do two things. It said they will see trouble coming and they'll avoid it. So a sensible person, like they can see trouble coming and they avoid it. But an unthinking person, they do two things as well. They walk into trouble and they regret it later. Like so, so what, what do we want to be? Do we want to be sensible or unthinking? Like I was talking to uh, Kevin, who's, who's one of our sound uh, text here, and uh, he said not too long ago he was sitting in his office in, in Effingham, and he watched a car pull out into the, the wrong lane on the road, and he watched another car come. He said, neither one of them were going very fast, but neither one of them gave. They just hit each other. He said they were going maybe 20 mile an hour, but they just hit right into each other. Like, how, how silly. But an unthinking person walks into trouble and regrets it later. 
Sensible people, it says they see trouble coming and they avoid it. They do everything they can to, to not get into that mess. But an unthinking person, they walk into trouble and they regret it later. Some of you who are married, listen, there was a time when you actually were dating somebody and you saw some red flags and you maybe ignored those red flags. And now years later, you're regretting it. And you're telling people, hey, you need to listen to this, this sermon. You need to listen to this message. Because listen, an, an unthinking person, they avoid the signs. They walk right into trouble. So we're going to talk about some things today that, that, listen, that are going to seem very, very extreme. Again, they're going to seem extreme because they are extreme. And what I'm doing is I'm talking to those of you who, who faithfully follow Jesus. Like, that's your goal. You want to faithfully follow Jesus. And so if you're not committed to Jesus, listen, this is a great place for you. I am, I am glad that you're here today. It'd be a great place for you to begin to explore some, some next steps that are, that are in your spiritual journey. But if you're not committed to following Jesus, what I'm going to talk about is going to seem really, really odd to you. It's going to seem really different. And I want to acknowledge that. And I want to tell you straight up, like, I'm for this. Because what's normal today is, is broken hearts. What's normal today is, is divorce. What's normal today is regrets. And I actually want something different for, for, our, for our students, for our college age, for our singles, for my kids. I want something different for them. And so we're going to talk about some things that, that may feel a little bit extreme, and we're going to look at five signs that you may be dating the wrong person. And we'll start with the, the first red flag is this, um, is you might be dating the wrong person when they're not consistently pursuing Jesus. Like it may be a red flag. If you're developing a relationship with someone and they're not consistently pursuing Jesus. And I use those words very intentionally, consistently pursuing. Because it's not that they're perfect or, or that you're perfect, but that they're on a journey and they're willing to take their next steps in a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And I say that because you meet someone and you're like, hey, what do you believe spiritually? Like, well, I, I guess I'm a Christian. I'm not a Muslim and I'm not a Buddhist and I'm not a Hindu. Like, uh, I, guess, like I guess I'm a Christian. But here in, in the United States especially, and I don't know how it is in the rest of the world, but we have a lot of people who are what I would call cultural Christians. Like they say they're Christians because they show up at church on Christmas and Easter. But that doesn't mean that they're consistently pursuing Jesus. So I'm going to say something that, again, is very extreme, and it won't be true in every case, but, but most of the time it is. If you meet someone and you're getting to know them and you spend time with them in, in deep, intimate conversation, if you don't hear about Jesus or if you don't hear about their faith or you don't hear about God or you don't hear about their, their involvement in the church or what their ministry is, within the first couple hours of talking to them, I would suggest that that should actually be a red flag. And that seems incredibly extreme. And it is extreme. But you have to remember that people talk first about what they value most. In any type of conversation, people tend to talk first about what they value the most. So if they love their career, they're going to be talking about their career. If they love their car, 
Have you seen my car? If they love their shoes, hey, have you seen my new shoes? If they're um, talking about travel and hobby, maybe they're talking about their ex, which is an entirely different red flag. If they're talking about their ex, let's come, come talk to me later and we'll figure all that out. But you tend to talk about things first that you value the most. And so if you have to ask even, hey, what are your spiritual beliefs? Or are you a Christian? Do you ever attend church anywhere? If you have to ask that after an extended conversation, chances are that person's not a committed follower of Jesus. And scripture gives us a very, very clear warning. The apostle Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 6, 14. He said, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Don't be united. Don't be, don't be joined. Like if you're a Christian, don't try to build a marriage and a life with someone who doesn't have the same spiritual beliefs. It says, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or, or what do fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Baal? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And I don't say that to criticize an unbelieving person. There are amazing people in this world that are not followers of Jesus. What I'm saying is, though, that there's a different spiritual foundation that's almost impossible to build a rich and God-honoring life on when there's different spiritual values. But I love him. He's so cute. She's so fine. Like, we have so much fun together. Like, God's limiting my options. Why, why does God want to take all my fun away? Like, it's so hard to find a godly person, so I'll just settle for a person. Like, I would remind you, like, God's not limiting you. He's loving you. He is, he is protecting you. He wants the most valued treasure that you have to be a gift to someone else who believes that Jesus is the most treasured gift. In fact, in the Old Testament, there's a powerful verse in Amos chapter 3, verse 3. It says this, can two walk together? Do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? Can two move in the same direction? Can two build an equal life? on unequal values, on incredible spiritual differences? Because I promise you, what you believe spiritually will impact every area of your life, like more than anything else about your life. What you believe spiritually, your spiritual foundation will influence how you parent. Would you want to parent with two totally different value systems? It'll influence how you think about money and material possessions and generosity. It'll influence whether you go to church or not go to church, or, or even whether you serve in the church. What shows you watch together and what shows you don't watch together? Do you go to parties? And if you go to parties, what kind of parties do you go to? And what do you do when you're at those parties? Who are your friends? How do you treat people that, that, that have hurt you? How do you forgive those who have wronged you? And what do you do with temptation? Is divorce an option or is it off the table? Because you have a different spiritual foundation. Like, what do you stand for and what do you stand against? What's your divine purpose in life? Why, why do you exist? See, if you have a different spiritual foundation, how can you walk in the same direction with someone with different spiritual values? In fact, I would say this, and, and, and not in a critical way, but, but in a sincere way. If he or she is not passionate about God, it's going to be so difficult for them to love you properly the way that God intended for them to love you. Because God is the one that moves our hearts. God is the one that changes our hearts.
So I would just say to those of you that are committed followers of Jesus, my suggestion would be don't give them your heart. If God doesn't have theirs, don't give them yours. Don't compromise and try to build a life with someone who has different values, a different worldview. Because what you believe about scripture, about God, about eternity matters more than you could ever imagine. Like there are some red flags that that the wise see and, and they avoid. And one is that if they're not consistently pursuing Jesus, the second thing that may be a warning sign would be when those that you love don't love the person you're dating. Like when you have a strong community around you like that are spiritually grounded, if they don't like the person that you're dating, that should be a real warning sign. And we see this all the time because you meet someone who's cute and you have fun together and you like the way she smells and you like the way he walks and you have this chemistry together and you get all these tinglys when you're with them. And then you talk to your best friend and your best friend says, yeah, I don't really like them. And then your other best friend says, yeah, I don't, I don't think they're very good for you. And then your mom who loves you and only has your best interest at heart says, man, I, I don't think that's the right person. And your dad, who's a very strong believer, um, says, yeah, hey, I, I think God has something better for you. And your sister doesn't like him and your brother doesn't like him and your dog who likes everyone doesn't like him. Like when those around you that you really trust who listen, who have a good spiritual foundation and you know they have your best interest at heart, when they don't like the person that you're dating, like that should be a red flag. Proverbs 27, nine says this, the heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. You wanna listen to those who love you. If they're saying there's something you should pay attention to, like I want you to be open to that and see maybe what they're seeing. Because maybe they see something that you don't because they don't have all the tinglys. We're gonna talk about that at the end too. But Like maybe, maybe they see that he's not really honoring you. Or maybe they see that she's really too into herself and to her brand and to her image. Or they might say, man, I've seen that he's pushing you sexually. He's pushing you to do things that are outside of, of your spiritual values. Or they might say, she's way too controlling or, or, or she's not uh, allowing you to have an identity or, or, or to be yourself. And so you want to listen to the people that are around you. And what's going to happen is you're going to want them to be wrong because you like that person. But you don't know him like I do. He's, he's got so much potential. Or, you know, like, I know she's, she's, she's got these things, but, but, but like Proverbs 12, 15 tells us this, the way of the fool seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. So what we want to do is we want to be wise. Like we want to see trouble early and walk away from it because the unwise see, see trouble and they walk straight into it and regret it later. The number three, like if, if you're dating the wrong person, like when you don't experience healthy conflict, and this is not saying that you won't fight, like you, you will fight. Um, you'll fight with the person you're dating. You will fight with the person that you're married to. Like you will fight because it's not if you fight, it is, it's how you fight that really, really matters because you're going to fight. Healthy couples fight. But here's the thing, they tend to fight fair and they fight for, for resolution. Unhealthy couples seem to fight dirty and they fight for victory. Like, I win. Like, I want to win, I want to be right, and I want you to be wrong. 
For example, Jennifer and I got into a fight not long ago. She came crawling in on her hands and knees. She said, come out from under that bed and fight like a man. <laughs> now, that didn't really happen, but we fight over the dumbest things, like throw pillows and rearranging furniture and me losing stuff and making a mess of coffee in the mornings. But for the most part, we've, tend, we've learned to fight fair and fight for resolution and not fight for victory. So there are a couple of streams here. Number one is, is if you're always fighting, Listen, if your pattern is fight, break up, make up, fight, break up, make up, fight, break up, make up. Like it may be fun. Like make up sex is the best I hear. I don't know. But if that's your pattern and you've done it like eight times since last Thursday, that's a problem. Like the moment you start to think, well, if we get married, that's going to solve all of our problems and we're not going to fight anymore. Don't believe that lie. It's the same lie that, that many married couples have believed and said, hey, if we just have a baby, it'll solve our problems. How'd that work out for you? Just brings more problems into the situation. But then on the other extreme, listen, if you never, ever fight at all, then you might have two people in a relationship that are conflict avoidant, and there's some underlying issues there that you don't know how to deal with, and and, and it's not healthy. What we're looking for is we're looking for a reasonable amount of conflict and the maturity to, to love each other well through it. To, to learn to fight fair. You know, one of my favorite verses on conflict is James 1, 19 and 20. And I, like, if, you're, if you have a social media account, please listen to this because this just drives me nuts. But this is what James says. He says, you should be quick to listen. Quick to listen. Slow to speak and slow to become angry. Man, I wish people like... That's all I see on on social media is people who are quick to speak and quick to become angry. People who claim to be Christians are just quick to become angry and quick to speak. But this is what James says, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Like there are some red flags and one would be when the person you're dating is not consistently pursuing Jesus. Another would be when the people that you love don't love that person. A third one would be is that you don't have healthy conflict. You're not slow to speak and, and are quick to slow to listen, quick to speak, and I'm backwards. Slow to speak, slow to become angry, and quick to listen. Yeah, the fourth would be this, when you find it difficult to trust the person you're with. When you find it difficult to trust that person, uh, Paul says this, he's listing some qualities of love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He's listing all these things that love is and, and what love does. And, and if you notice there, love is, is always an action. It's never a, a feeling. It's never that tingly thing that we get. It's always an action. But this is what he says in, in 1 Corinthians 13, 7. He says, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And I just want to focus on trusts for a minute. And that doesn't mean that there won't be moments of insecurity like, is this relationship working? Do you, do you really care about me? Or are we really moving forward? Those things are natural. But when we're constantly worried that you can't trust someone, that should be a red flag. And I want to unpack that a little bit because there are a couple of different reasons or a couple of different cases that, that you don't trust someone. And maybe, maybe that person's just naturally untrustworthy. Like, meaning you say, man, I can't trust them as far as I can throw them. 
Maybe, maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe he's, I don't know, sliding up into girls' DMs or she's always snapping her old boyfriend or he's liking every bikini pic that's out there or he's looking at every waitress that, um, that, that comes by when they go to a place. And there's a reason that you can't trust him. Like maybe, and you need to pay attention to that. that that's a red flag. Or, and I wanna say this gently, but, I, but I'm gonna say it. It could be that you're the problem. It could be that you're overly possessive or too insecure, and you're looking for reasons not to trust when they're not really there. It could be the problem is that the, isn't that they're not trustworthy. The problem could be that you're not trusting. And either way, it's actually a red flag. Even if the red flag is you, it's a red flag. So if you find yourself always wondering, you know, what's he looking at on his phone, or where, where was she, or why didn't she call, or pay attention to, to what, the, what that says about the relationship. If you say things like, man, they're, they're, they're amazing, but I just can't trust them. Like, it's a red flag. Pay attention to it. Because the wise, the thinking, the sensible people, they see trouble coming, and they tend to avoid it. The fifth and, and final thing that we're going to talk about, is, and probably in my opinion, is the most important, I would say this. It's warning when the person you're dating is leading you away from Jesus instead of closer to Jesus. It's a red flag. When you're spending time with someone and spiritually you're not as vibrant as you were before, that you started spending time with them, it's a red flag. So a good question to ask yourself as a checkpoint at different times in the relationship, in two months, three months, six months, 12 months, are we growing closer to Jesus? Am I spiritually stronger today than I was before? In fact, Jesus even gave a warning to his followers. He said this in Matthew 24, 4. He said, see to it that no one, no one, even the person you're dating, leads you astray. Let's just get practical if you start dating and you stop going to church, that should be a red flag. If you start dating and you drift away from Christian community, that should be a red flag. If you start dating and you start compromising sexually over and over and over again, and you wake up and you realize that, hey, we're rationalizing sin together, that should be a red flag. And again, this feels very extreme because it is. We have to remember, the scripture is very clear that the gift of sexual intimacy is reserved for the covenant of marriage. Now, listen, that doesn't mean you're not going to be tempted. That doesn't mean you're, you're, you're going to be on some date, you're going to be close to someone, and all of a sudden, all the tingly start to happen. That doesn't mean you're not going to be tempted. In fact, chances are pretty good you'll be tempted at some point to grab, squeeze, hub, hug, tug, whatever it is. Like, but if you're alive, listen to me, that's the case. You will be tempted. And if you're not tempted, you're not human. If you're not tempted, listen, I've got an entirely different sermon for you because that's a different problem. Because God wired us to desire spiritual and emotional and sexual intimacy with our spouse under the covenant of marriage. And here's the challenge. When you start engaging in sex, especially when you're dating, Proverbs 5 says this. You can, you can look it up. I promise it's there. It says that sex is intoxicating. And I'm not making that up. It's, it's intoxicating. Now, if you don't want to admit this in church, I get it. Um, but you can. You can admit it here. How many of you have ever been drunk before? Raise your hands up. You ever been drunk before? 
man, there's more people involved than I thought. Good. Uh, if you're online, you got some anonymity there, so you just go ahead and type in the chat, like, I've been drunk. It'd be great. But what happens when you're drunk? Several things. Or you get better looking. Like, other people get better looking. Like, you go into the mirror and you think, man, I look pretty good. Hey, everybody looks pretty good. Like, I think there's a country song, something about beer goggles out there. Like, I don't know. But what it does, like when you're drunk, when you're intoxicated, what it does is it blurs your vision and it lowers your standards and it clouds your judgment. And here's the problem for some of you. Some of you, you're going around and you're getting intimate and you're having sex and you're getting intoxicated and you're with somebody distinctly below your standards because your vision is clouded. Your standards are lowered and you're sitting there and you're going, man, this person's going to work and we could make it work and we can make it work. They're so great. And when you sober up, you're going to say, oh, wow. Now that I'm sober, I realize that that person's really not following Jesus. And those people that I, that I, that I love, they don't love the person that I'm dating and we don't actually have this, this healthy conflict, and we just fight all the time, and we, don't, and we don't trust each other, and when we're together, we're not actually growing closer to Jesus. We're going further away from him. It's because you're intoxicated. And I want this to sink in, because the sensible, what do they do? The sensible see trouble coming, and they avoid it. And the unthinking, what do they do? They walk into trouble, and they regret it later. And I don't want to say this in a harsh way, but some of you that are dating, you're in a relationship that's not God's best, and you probably need to break up. And if you need a Bible verse, um, Psalm 119, 115 says, if you're dating someone that's far from God and they're leading you away from God in a destructive way, this is what Psalm 119, 115 says. It says, get out of my life, for I intend to follow the commands of my God. That seems kind of harsh, but it's actually in the Bible. Get away from me, because I'm going to follow the commands of my God. And we do that with the intent that they will as well. So what's going to happen is you're going to spend a lot of time with someone, and at some point you may be a little intoxicated, and you're going to want things to work. And you're going to sober up and you're going to realize this isn't God honoring. And the most loving thing you can do is to create a separation, to break it off. And you're not going to want to because you're you're so invested. Maybe you've been together for six months or or two years. Like, but here's the thing. I want to encourage you, if it's not right, have the courage to make a change. Because sometimes change is necessary for God to do a work in the other person And sometimes change is necessary for God to do a work in you. Because you can't marry the right person if you're dating the wrong person. And so when you do break up, just let me give you a little free advice. Don't send a text. Like, just don't. Like, that should be in the Bible somewhere. Like, break up in person. And don't go running back and three days later say, I heard our song on the radio. Do you still want to talk? You want to go to a Justin Bieber concert on Thursday? Like... Don't do that. Like, like, just don't do that. Have the courage to, to love someone enough to break it off so that you can connect with God and you can give them that opportunity as well. You may say, dang, Josh, why are you being so serious about this? Listen, because if you ignore the warning signs, 
The pain on the other side of a broken marriage is incredibly difficult. And I never wanna shame anyone who's, who's gone through that or who's experienced that. But they would tell you that to create a life together with kids and coming together and to walk away from that is painful. You know, uh, I heard someone say that it's like a nuclear explosion of pain. I've counseled many people who've gone through divorce and, and many of them say, man, it would have been easier if my spouse would have died. That's how bad it hurts. The heartbreak, the disappointment, and the challenges. That's why I take it so seriously. Again, there, there are red flags and, and for married couples, and if you're struggling right now, I say, like, there's some good news. It's not too late to become that person that's continually pursuing Jesus. It's not too late to become the person that your significant other, your spouse, it's not too late to become the person that, that her friends and her family love. It's not too late to learn how to deal with conflict in a, in a healthy way. It's not too late to, to learn to be trustworthy. It's not too late to, to together pursue God to have a heart that, that pleases God in all that you do. And to work, uh, the, to, for God to do a work in you and through you that will change the world. It's different, it's weird, it's extreme, but it's God honoring. Because the sensible, they see trouble and they avoid it. But the unthinking, they walk right toward it and they regret it later. Here's what I want. I don't want you living with regret. So whether you're single and loving Jesus or dating and loving Jesus or married and loving Jesus, let's just make sure the loving Jesus is a part of what we're doing. I'm gonna ask you to stand and I'm gonna pray. And maybe today, like maybe today's a, a day that for some of you, and I know that that this message wasn't really preaching the, the, the gospel message to you. But for some of you, like, I want you to hear this today, that, that maybe you, you have some things in your past that you regret. Maybe you look back and say, man, I've made a lot of unwise decisions and I, and I regret them. Maybe today that's sin. Maybe today that is that, that you've never given your life to Christ and you need all those regrets to be gone. Today you can do that. We witnessed the baptism this morning. Reese. Uh, being put under the water for the forgiveness of sin and for the gift of the Holy Spirit in his life. Maybe today that's a decision you need to make. Father God, today, we thank you so much for who you are and for what you do in our lives. But I pray today that we would be wise, that we would see, see the trouble and we'd avoid it. But God, all of us, myself, everyone on the stage, everyone in this room, everyone watching online. And there are times that we've seen the trouble and we've walked right into it. And we all come with, with some regrets and some, some hang-ups and some shame and some guilt. So Father, we thank you that you forgive us. We thank you that you loved us enough and you demonstrated that love for us by sending Jesus to die for us. And that all of us, all of us can accept and be forgiven through what Christ did on the cross.
that all of us have an opportunity uh, to, to be washed in, in the waters of baptism for the forgiveness of those sins, Father, and for that gift uh, of the Holy Spirit, the gift of a new heart that you offer. Again, we thank you for Jesus that, that he was perfect, and yet he chose to die for us because we were unthinking. And it's in his name that I pray.